Hello, my name is George Farrell. I am the chair of Black Pack, B-L-A-K-P-A-C. Black Pack stands for the Black Latin Asian Knowledge Political Action Committee. And we work to elect Black, Latin, Asian, and other graces. We help to elect conservatives. That's our main goal is to elect conservatives. And when we say conservatives, we're talking about people who believe in traditional traditional marriage, who believe in uh, the Second Amendment, who believe they had the right to protect themselves, who want to start businesses. We're talking about small business owners. We're talking about people with families, with children, who believe in education, charter schools, and all those things. So we work to elect people who will represent those people. We also work to elect people who understand the purpose of government. And this is very important because you have to start with this. The purpose of government is to provide for infrastructure so that people can be successful. And what do I mean by that? Government is supposed to provide your roads, your sewers, your schools, and all the other infrastructure that goes with starting a business, maintaining companies, and everything else. So the purpose of government is not to rule over you. The purpose of government is to provide the infrastructure, the basis, the the boundaries, the, the lowest point for success so that people can start their lives and be successful with the proper tool. That's the purpose of government. The idea that Black Pack was started in 2015, but I'd always been involved in politics before this. So I grew up in Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. is a government, military, and education town. It, that's what, that's everybody who works in Washington, D.C. is either working for the government, the military, or an educational facility, pretty much. So when you grow up in government, I started my political career as an intern for Claiborne Pell, who started the Pell Grant. So as an intern, as an intern for Claiborne Pell, I was a student at Howard University. And I got involved in politics by watching it happen and living in a government town. So I should have went to work for the post office. But instead, uh, I got involved in politics, started my own successful mortgage business in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. And then I got to see what happens when government oversteps its bounds because I had a very successful mortgage business. But the government stepped in and shut down the SNL industry. And, and that was amazing to me that they could take out an entire industry so that banks wouldn't have competition and then blame that industry for all the failures of the banking industry. So I watched my friends who owned banks uh, go out of business just because the government said they had to. The government created an industry co- uh, company called the RTC, which sucked up all these SNL assets and then turned them over to North Carolina National Bank, which today is known as Bank of America. So when you see government overreach, you understand that government should not pick winners and losers. It should only provide the infrastructure. So that's when I really got involved in politics and making sure that people understand the purpose of government and the purpose of a politician, not to pick winners and losers, but provide the basic infrastructure. So I got involved in politics at a very young age, Marion Barry was mayor, and I helped the next mayor, and it goes from there, and I've always also been a successful businessman. So I did all those things, but I didn't start Black Pack until later when I saw that uh, a lot of Blacks weren't being included in conservative politics, and that was disturbing to me because Black, Black, Latin, and Asians have very conservative values. They believe in traditional marriage. They believe in starting businesses, and they believe in education. 
but they were not being representative in the conservative movement. So we started Black Pack to make sure that Blacks, Latin and Asians were represented in the conservative movement or the Republican Party. Black Pack stands for the Black Latin Asian Knowledge Political Action Committee. Because once Blacks, Latins and Asians understand their conservative values, they'll vote Republicans. And it also stands for pretty much the largest, uh, I, I hate the word minority because they're not minority, the largest group of voters in the South are Black, Latin, and Asians, 44% in Florida, all the way through Texas, go through Georgia, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, you get to Texas and even Southern California. The largest Black group of voters is Black, Latin, and Asians voting together. And those are traditional, those are traditional values. We've been sold that we're that because you're black and Latin that you're not traditional, but it's not true. We're very traditional. We believe in marriage, we believe in family, we believe in the Second Amendment, and we believe in the right to educate our children. And we're pretty much the group that has brought all those groups together in a successful manner. And we've we've elected Latins, and we elected blacks, and we've elected whites also. The Republican Party pretty much has token representation. They hate the word, but it's true. They only have one black in the Senate, Tim Scott, one black in the House, Will Hurd, who's retiring. So it very well could be in 2020, no blacks in the Republican Party elected to the United States Congress. Tim Scott's term doesn't run out until 2022, and he will be a token representation of blacks in the Republican Party. He doesn't like to admit it, but he, he needs to step up and help other blacks get elected so that we can all get more representation and have our voices heard. Blacks are, uh, should be uh, elected to more offices as Republicans because they, have, they share Republicans' beliefs. So when I say that token, the Republicans have been playing this game where they only have one black here and they say, oh, we're not racist. We, got, we know this one black guy, like everybody has the one black friend. Well, that game's not gonna work anymore. It really needs to be blacks in leadership positions, not just cheerleader positions, but leadership positions that share their values and share their knowledge. And we're working to elect a lot of those blacks. They're on our webpage, by the way, which I have not given out yet. www.blakpac.gop is our webpage. If you go to our webpage, you'll see every black Latin Asian that's running for Congress this year on our webpage. And we're pretty much the only group that has done that and other groups are starting to copy us and come along, and we're happy for them. We're happy for New Journey Pack. We're happy for Elbert Guillory and all the other groups that are joining in to help us elect more minorities to office in the United States. And this is a mental thing. We have to stop accepting these terms that limit us like minority. I don't like that term because I know a lot of Mexicans, Asians, Filipinos, Chinese, Venezuelans that are all conservative. But when we vote together, we're not minorities. And we have to understand that, particularly in Florida, Georgia, and Texas. I don't, you know, in 2024, neither Georgia nor Florida should have a white governor because they're not the majority. But we're brainwashed, believe that we have to follow this mindset where you also have, always have a white leader. So once we break that mindset and understand if this country truly is about equal opportunity, and united for all and justice for all, then blacks and Latins, once they break their mindset that they're not a minority, they'll start electing people that represent them. And that's where we have to get to in the United States, if the United States is going to survive as a country.
I mean, for example, your governor in California, I don't know who he's representing, but he's not listening to the people of California right now. The people of California want to go back to work and get to work. What we found out, and I guess I'll bring in what we're talking about is this COVID disease. And, and, and I understand, I'm afraid of it myself, but it's not killing uh, more than 1% of, of the population. When this disease was announced by Fawcett, it was, we were supposed to have 3 million people dead by this month. That was scary. I mean, he presented this thing that if we don't get this under control, we're going to have 3 million people dead. Well, we have 140,000. That's still, I'm still sorry and, and pray for those people, but that's not the plague. So, you know, we have a medical society that can solve cancer that people use, you know, cancer used to be a death sentence in the seventies or eighties. When you heard somebody had cancer, it was a death sentence. You started going down their bucket list. What do you want to do now? This lung disease, which is what it is, a lung disease, is not a death sentence. So we have to come up with a society that lives with it and controls it and does the best we can. And closing down the whole economy doesn't solve the problem. Changing our habits, maybe wearing masks. So what I like to do is, is see us live with this disease, find ways to cure it or fix it or get over it as soon as possible. It's not a death sentence, but it is a hard disease to get over. It's like a tough flu. And the flu does kill people if they don't take care of it. So we, we've got to do some changes in our lives, but shutting down the country is not one of them. We need to survive this disease and, and, and move this country forward. We both have a friend that has survived COVID. His whole family, his, his the, uh, husband, wife, and children have survived this disease, and they survived it early on. And, and so we know it's not a death sentence. And once I spoke with him, he said, you know, I knew I had this. I, I tested positive, but we survived it. We stayed in the house. We stayed among ourselves. Our whole family got it. And we're fine now. So we need to get that message out that this is a survivable disease, but you need to treat it as soon as you detect it and don't wait till it gets bad. You may not have to wait for testing. If you feel sick, you, you're sick and you just do whatever is recommended. Once we get that together where, where we get the word out that this is a survivable disease, that's when we open the country. That's when we understand what's going on and how to survive it. So what I'm seeing now in the message we're not getting out is we never put out the notice that this number of people have survived this disease. We put out the number of people who catch it, but not the number of people who survive it. So first we've got to flip that number and say this many people survived it and a survival rate of 97, 98%. And then people will understand, hey, if I catch it, I'm not going to die. If I catch it, I can survive it. And that's where we are now. Once we get that message out, we can fix our economy and turn this thing around. Right now we got people not even going to movies. The movie industry is devastated. <laughs> Nobody's even shooting a movie. So it's going to be something that we understand. We get some vaccines or treatments. And once we get those treatments and understand it, we beat another disease. We're America. We're supposed to beat these things. We have too much regulation in the United States when it comes to business. And I can say this because I do business all over the world. Our organization is known all over the world, but we also have a, I also have a business that I work for that has, has sells product in all over the world, Philippines, uh, Jakarta, Indi India, in Pakistan, we're in China. We pulled out of China six months ago. 
we're in the, the Philippines, we're in South Africa, we're all over the globe. And I find it easier to do business in those countries where you deal with one government agency for the entire country than to do business in the United States. When I do business here in California, I have to register for every single county as a vendor. That's just too much government. There are 63 counties in Florida. I have to register as a vendor in, every, in all 63 counties, even though it's online, it's very tedious. I have to register for a vendor in almost every county in every state to do business. That's just too much regulation. So one of the first things we have to do is either have state oversight where the state gives you a business license and it's good everywhere in every county. And I think we need to go through these counties. And, and that's part of the, the problem. Every county has a situation where they're handling it individually. Every city is handling it individually. Every state is doing something different from the state next door. So we have no unified policy. So under a, a state of emergency, which the president should be operating, all those little regulations need to go away so we can deal with this unified. And, and we're not doing that. There's a lack of leadership on his role. I will point out what he's wrong. He's not leading correctly on this pandemic. And the states and counties are all doing their own thing. So we have this disjointed approach that's making this whole thing worse. Plus, we're not getting the information that we need. I want to know how many people are cured every day. I want to know how many people are getting out the hospital. Not how many are in the hospital. I want to know how many people are getting out the hospital. And we're not giving that information to give people that a notion that this can be successfully fought. You know, when you, when you report that how many people have it, you're thinking, hey, how many people are sick? And that's the wrong way. That's the wrong news that we need to hear. And that goes to the, new, the people who enjoy putting out bad news. There are some places where five or six people have died in a county, but you're reporting that you got 300,000 infected. Well, that's success. But we're not reporting it as success. We're reporting it as if we've already failed. And that goes back to the CNN and all the other places that enjoy giving bad news. We have the right to bear arms and, and carry guns. Now, I don't want, some people go overboard with it, but people who are illegal or criminals shouldn't be the only one to have guns. Because when criminals know that law-abiding citizens don't have guns, you have a high crime rate. I, I did a speech in Texas for a woman's group. And one of the questions I asked, one of the first questions I asked was, how many of you have a gun? And I'm in Texas. And each woman said, had a gun. I said, how many guns do you have? Each woman had three guns. <laughs> so there was one, they had a little pretty one in their purse. <laughs> they had another one they kept in their car and another one in their house. So if you're in Texas, you know not to mess with a woman in Texas, <laughs> especially if you see them in boots, because they're going to be ready to shoot you. In our urban areas, in our markets where we've taken guns and made guns illegal, like a Chicago, which has 60 shootings a weekend, uh, it's like a sport out there. How many people can I pick off? And why is that? Because they've taken away the right to bear arms. You know, if these families were getting shot at, in their front yard, if they had guns, these guys would think twice before just shooting up the block. So what we've got is we've got a, a criminal, we've created an element in our urban areas where we've outlawed store owners and homeowners to have guns. So only the criminals have guns. And I saw something funny from the mayor of Chicago blaming Trump for her gun trouble. And I'm thinking, no, you have a police department 
that doesn't even go out on patrol. That's where your trouble's coming in. And they're not going out on patrol because they're not getting the backup from the mayor who is talking about eliminating her police department. So if you're a cop, why would you go out and put yourself in danger for a city that's not going to back you up? What we created now is the, the criminals know that the cops aren't coming out and they're just going out in random criminal sprees and taking advantage of small families and young women and all this other stuff. It's really, really painful to watch something that can be fixed if the mayor of Chicago had the will to do it. And she doesn't have the will to do it. And she's blaming it on the president. And the president has nothing to do with her crime problem. She's the mayor of that city. The buck stops with her. A political action committee is a group that cannot coordinate with the candidates that they're working with, but can help to get them elected by doing TV commercials, radio commercials, knocking on doors, getting out the vote, making sure people are, are getting out and voting for the candidate that best meets your guidelines. So our guidelines are conservative guidelines. We support candidates that support charter schools, that support the Second Amendment, that support low taxes. That's, that's our three main things that we support. If we find a candidate that we like, we'll support those candidates and we'll help get them elected. One of the first people we elected to Congress in 2016 was Brian Mast. He's a Mexican. He's a congressman in Florida, in Broward County, uh, Florida, or St. Lucie County on the east coast of Florida. He was elected in 2016. We also helped elect Karen Handel, who was the first woman ever elected to Congress from Georgia. There had never been a woman elected to Congress from, Flor from Georgia before. We did a lot of smaller races. We did uh, school board races, which I think is the most important elective office. I think school board is the most e important elective office, and we're seeing that right now as we try to get kids back in school. One of the things that school boards did is they fed kids through this crisis. They had box lunches ready to be picked up for people who were out of work, who couldn't get their kids to school. Uh, they didn't have uh, recreation centers, but they made sure everybody ate. So I admire a lot of school boards that stepped up right away and started feeding kids, no matter what their income or their education level. A lot of our kids got fed by school boards, and that is something that was incredible. And, and I admire all those school boards. That's why I think school boards at the local level are one of the most important elective offices that you could have. Because what would have happened if we had school boards that didn't decide not to feed children? We'd have a lot of starving children. Let me put it in real perspective. I have a chart that shows how much the Democrats have raised for minority candidates, which is why they beat us so badly compared to what Republicans have raised. The Republicans just this year and every year raised three billion dollars a year to elect minority candidates. The Republicans barely break a billion, maybe 800 million is what we'll spend on minority candidates. We're not spending anything to compete with a, a Black Lives Matter or the NAACP. And these guys are, are just raking in the money right now. Three billion a year can buy a lot of votes. And that's what the Democrats are doing. It can buy a lot of minds. It gives you the resources to buy radio ads, buy television ads, to buy canvassers or pay canvassers to knock on doors and go into different communities, which we're, we're just not competitive in a lot of communities. It's like Michael Jordan says, uh, you know, he took the last shot in, in how many games. But as Republicans and as conservatives, we haven't even taken the first shot in a lot of communities. So we're not even there. 
So it's hard for people to even consider voting for us if we haven't taken the first shot. So you have, you have all these groups, um, National Action Network, not a lot of them, that are well-funded and can go into black communities and, and tell us, hey, why don't you go get abortions? <laughs> and that's what these groups push. They push abortion on black communities. Uh, they push the take our Second Amendments out, right? They tell us we don't need education, that we're wasting our time in school. And a lot of these groups don't believe in a, the nuclear family. As a matter of fact, the uh, Black Lives Matter doesn't believe in a family. I don't know what they believe in because if there's no family, there's no country. There's, there's no society without family. So they actually believe that, that they should tear down the, the, the society and break it up with no families. We elected the first Asian ever to school board in DeKalb County in, in, uh, in Georgia. That, that was a major success because Asians had never been on a school board in Georgia, and that's where I suggested that they start. And I started at Congress, but suggest that. We've had success with our training programs. We've trained over uh, 60 or 70 candidates to run for mm -hmm. office. Again, we push a lot of our candidates to run for um, to run for local office. But it's a four or five day training program that teaches you how to message, how to, how to interview, how to get your message out there, the proper materials to hand out. Uh, it goes, and we actually do a lot of um, uh, training where, where live training where we take people out and knock on doors so that they can introduce themselves properly. We train them in how to do an interview, how to, how to do a commercial. And we train them in fundraising. We help them write the proper fundraising letters and all that. So our, our school for candidates is very, very inclusive. It is actually taught by uh, people who've already won, like a Jennifer Carroll or Elbert Guillory. So our school isn't taught by people who've never held office. When we do a candidate school, it's taught by people who are winners who've already won for office and can give you real life lessons. So that's that's one of the things that we like to do, and we've done it with uh, Asians and Hispanics and and we also end up in our candidate schools and guys who have worked with me have actually ended up working in politics. So we've got a lot of folks who have come through Black Pack who actually have ended up working for congressmen or working for different PACs. So that's the successful part of our PAC. Uh, so we started in 2014. And I thought about this the other day. The first time Jeb Bush ran for office for governor of Florida, because Florida had been a Democratic state up until Jeb Bush became governor. The first time he ran, he lost because someone interviewed him and said, what are you going to do for black people? He said, probably nothing. He lost. The second time he ran, this was before PAC. I just happened to live in Florida and met Jeb Bush and thought he was a good guy. And I didn't like the current governor, who was known as a he-coon. <laughs> that was his nickname, a he-coon. So, you know, anybody calls himself a he-coon, you know it's not going to be good for you. <laughs> so we, we helped Jeb Bush win the second time. We won by getting him into the black business community. And as soon as he won, one of the first things he did was give Florida A&M their law school back. But one of the very first things he did was he had one of his staff members search me down and he gave me a Jeb Bush watch. And at the time I was wearing a Rolex. <laughs> I said, wow. So, he, he, you know, this person sought me out and said, hey, Jeb wants to give you this. And he gave me a Jeb Bush watch with Jeb, his name on it. I took that my Rolex off, started wearing my Jeb Bush watch. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was nice that he thanked us because he recognized. But this was just something I was doing as a business person. Uh, the second governor that we helped before I did a pact was Rick Scott. 
And uh, Rick's guy had called called me right after he won to thank me. And I'm thinking about, and I was thinking, and, and I did this as a business person. Because if you're a successful business person in the black community, you're also pretty much a successful leader in the black community. Everybody looks for you for for guidance and advice. So uh, before I even started a PAC, I was active in politics because I knew the importance of having the proper government officials in, in decision-making uh, ability. Now, before Jeb Bush came to Florida, if you told me what Florida was, if I had to tell you, describe Florida to you, remember the old TV show, show in the heat of the night <laughs> with Carol O'Connor, who was Archie Bunker? That's what Florida looked like. That's what most Florida towns look like when I moved to Florida. All the blacks lived in a section of every town in Florida called the Bottoms. I, you could describe it as the Bottoms. Because when as soon as you went to a black community in Florida, the palm trees stopped. You could tell you were in a black community because there's no palm trees. And you knew to turn around. And that's not only St. Petersburg where I live. That was Orlando. That was Miami. And that was uh, Jacksonville. So all the black neighborhoods never even had palm trees. The thing you moved to Florida for, they didn't have. And it was like a, a, a warning sign to stay out of those neighborhoods. So the other thing that I, I did with Jeb Bush is we developed a thing called One Florida, a One Florida plan. And the purpose of that plan was to make Florida, no matter what neighborhood you lived in, what ma matter what school you went to, more of the same resources for everybody. Very successful program. And that's the, that's the power of politics when you have access. And you can say that to somebody. I said, well, there's two Floridas. I see it every day. And we have two economies here. So we need a, a mindset where there is a one Florida or one California or one Nevada before we get to a one United States. And, and that's the power of having access. So, and that plan was very successful because all the schools in the black neighborhoods were rated F. All the schools in the white neighborhoods were rated A. They weren't getting equal resources. And Florida is now a better, a better country because uh, I had access and others had access to the governor to explain these things to make it right. Where the previous governor, he Coon, was part of the problem. <laughs> so are we really going to be one country? Are we really going to bring this together? Or should we just throw up our hands and forget about it? Our, our mission going forward is to, to have a more united country, a country where Blacks, Latin, and Asians are more united. As a matter of fact, the other day I was thinking, in my old county, which was Pinellas County, Florida, there's, uh, there had never been a, a black person on the school board. I got the first black person uh, appointed. Her name was Janice Starling by Jeb Bush. And the other day, I'm looking at my old county, and there's three blacks now running for county commission. Never happened before where there's been three blacks running as county commission. But I can look back and, and say that, and I was joking to myself that I'd violated the prime directive. When I moved to Florida, which is old Star Trek. And because now I was thinking, wow, these guys never even thought they could run for office until I moved there and started working there and, and, and showing them the difference that it made being an elected official. So now three of the people that I had been friends with or still friends with are now running for county commission in St. Pete City Council. I was just thinking that I had something to do with that by 
you know, working with in politics and showing them the power of politics to make their communities better. So it does make a difference when you get people elected. And I, and, and it doesn't matter which one gets elected as a uh, county commission, because I know they're all going to do what's best for the county. They're all going to help businesses. They're all, they all understand the purpose of businesses. And, and I think one comes out of the church, maybe two come out of the church. So it's, it's wonderful to see that, influence that you can look back and say, hey, I knew those guys and they never even thought they could be politicians or that they could be leaders. And now they're all community leaders and they're all coming up. I think what's important is that we understand that uh, the purpose of politics, purpose of a politician, purpose of government, provide for a great infrastructure. The purpose of a politician is to go to your, through your budget, increase wealth in your communities. That's, that's the purpose of a politician. And once we understand that, we can understand the importance of having good roads, of having even a great park to play in, which a lot of our communities don't have great parks. I mean, these things are, right now, I was just thinking um, one of the great things about Florida is that even when you don't have any money, you can, get, you can go to a beach. <laughs> and if that beach is clean, that takes your family mind off of, um, you know, there were lots of times when, I took my family to the beach and we would just order $5 pieces and sit on the beach for six, seven hours. It takes your family's mind off it. And, and, and there's certain things that we should be doing as politicians during times like this, where we allow, we have access to great recreation, great outdoors activities, even as for a few hours. That's important also. And I see a lot of communities that don't have great parks, but we need to have great safe parks where our families can walk and stroll and walk a dog. So even anything as basic as a park or a beach is important, especially during times where people are going through COVID and all we're getting is bad news every single day, bad news every single day. We've got to turn this country around. We've got to make sure it's fair for everybody. And that's one of the things that Black Pack is doing by making sure that the right people get in office. Anybody Can Youth Foundation teaches our youth to step off into life with their best foot forward, without cowardice, but with courage and dignity. ABC was founded by legendary light heavyweight champion Archie Moore in 1957. He had a heart and passion for helping the youth. He believed if we went into the business of prevention, we could save billions of dollars and millions of lives. He started ABC to teach youth the basic ABCs of life. Are you concerned about the world today? Do you want to help train our youth to be the change needed in the world? Join us in the fight for equality, in the fight for justice, in the fight for our youth. If you would like to help, go to www.abcyouthfoundation.org. That's www.abcyouthfoundation.org. Be well and be blessed.